like to start by asking a question, a phrase, if you will, really. Can you own this phrase? Kind of try it on, if you will, for your own life. Can you own it, believe it, say it, walk it out? As I follow Jesus and walk with him in life, God wants me to experience and release mountain-moving power. It's a serious quote. It's not something to be taken lightly or just kind of flippantly. But I have a deep conviction based on the word of God that if we are not desiring, longing for, expecting, hungering, struggling to see mountains move, then we are settling for far less than what God wants for us. Period. But let's back up a little. We finished last year in the prophetic passage of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and following that prophesies a Messiah coming, you know, of whom the, the government will rest upon his shoulders. And in verse 7, it says this incredible, captivating phrase that of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. Of the increase of his kingdom reign, there will be no end. And we've spent quite a bit of time developing, kind of exegeting the Bible to be confident that that increase of his kingdom applies globally and as well right here. That that relationship with God starts as an individual. You matter to God. You are created in God's image. Male and female, he created them in his image to be fruitful and multiply and advance his kingdom throughout the earth. And there is a healthy individuality of that, that it is your personal relationship with God. And you see that all over the Bible, especially the New Testament, in which we are called to wrestle with God about our relationship with him. And yes, it's meant to move into our family, and it's meant to be in a broader faith community, and then it can go into nations. But we want to grab hold of that reality, that promise, that challenge that God's will is that his kingdom reign in our life would increase. And there would be no end to that increase while we're on earth. You cannot find a boxed-in limitation in the New Testament of what God wants to do in your life. I encourage you to find it. Show me. What I see is all sorts of open-ended promises that say, if you press in, it will get bigger and better and more powerful. So don't settle. And so we're going to look at one of those passages today that when we're candid and we're honest about it, it's, it's a hard passage. It sounds beautiful, but if I'm going to try to apply it to my life, I immediately feel the tension of it. And then that can result in all sorts of different things like disappointment and feeling like God didn't come through or beating myself up because I'm not good enough. And so there's a, a, a reality in, in the text that God wants us to live into but wrestle with authentically. So let's look at it. Mark 11, verses 20 to 25. As they passed by in the morning... So they're on their way to the temple in the sequence of events of the book of Mark. Jesus has had the triumphal entry already. It's a very odd, interesting. He has a triumphal entry. He goes into the temple. He's like, yeah, it's kind of late. Let's come back tomorrow. It's really kind of funny, actually. Uh, but we'll, we're skipping over that. So just so you know where they're passing by. They're passing by on the way to the temple. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. So keep an eye on that fig tree. We're going to come back to it. And Peter remembered from the prior day when they passed by, and they said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass it will be done for him. 
Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That last line is worthy of like a whole other sermon. It's an interesting question. What does forgiveness have to do with prayer? Maybe a lot. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, there is blockage between you and being able to live into the rest of what Jesus is talking about here. So unforgiveness is going to keep you from answered prayer. That's a, that's a short answer. Maybe come back another Sunday. <laughs> All right. But I'm not promising that's next week. Because uh, I'm already excited about something else. Okay, this is one of the most incredible promises Jesus has for us. I mean, it's, it's wild. Listen to this language. I mean, it's so grandiose, so huge. Almost, is this, is this hyperbolic? Does Jesus not really mean it? Is he kind of exaggerating? It's almost unbelievable. Yet, I would argue, there is absolutely nothing in this passage to indicate that Jesus isn't a hundred percent serious that he wants this to be your reality. He says, truly, I say to you, truly, I'm telling you the truth right now, guys. Not, hey, here's this metaphor for kind of faith that just gets you excited. You're not going to live this out, but it's an exciting idea. Truly, I say to you. So Jesus is teaching about the reality of what he's all about. God's kingdom being extended and released and breaking into this earth, the broken world that gets healed, redeemed, forgiven, saved, delivered by heaven. So Jesus is teaching about how that reality breaks through on earth, and he says, have faith in God. That's how he starts the whole thing. You have faith in God, and that's kind of this summary of a, a living, vibrant relationship with God where you know the character of God. You know the nature of God so that you can, and this is a scary phrase, you can become confident in God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And it's kind of simple in a way. Well, what's God's will? How is it in heaven? Done. <laughs> like, but there's a, a humility that should be approached in an in a, in a, awe and a trembling in a way to say, like, I know God's will. Well, that's, whoa. And I wouldn't say that except for the fact that Jesus says it's what your job is all the time. So he's, that, he's inviting us into the reality of the kind of intimacy, the relationship with God that we're made for, a faith in God where we know his character, his nature, so that we become confident in his will. And Jesus says, when you do that, when you're at that place, then your job is to simply declare his will in prayer. Don't doubt it, he says. Don't doubt it. Believe it, and it will be done. You feel like the authority in that? That he's, that he's saying in, in this prayer, it's like, wow. I don't want to be flippant about that. Like, that's, that's some, woo. That's someone who's confident in what's going on. They see a mountain. They declare it. And this is not like this wishful, like, oh, God, I hope you move a mountain. He's like, I want you to be at a place where you look at the mountain and you know that you, there's a power inside of you greater than that mountain and you don't doubt it. So you speak to it and you say, move. And it moves. And if that isn't enough of an overwhelming challenge, Jesus goes on to say, under the, the context of truly, I say to you, he says, therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. Notice the tense. That's incredibly important. That you have received it, and then it will be yours. So Jesus goes from past tense to future tense. If you believe you already have it, it will be yours. What the heck is he talking about? <laughs> It's where, it, again, it's based on the character and nature of God and who he is, his promises, and as we get to know his will, we 
like Colossians 3 says, we are already seated in the heavenlies with Christ. So there's this way of praying from the reality of heaven. There's a, there's a way of, as we walk with God, we, we are beginning to, like, what world do we live in? Do we live in this world or that world? Do we live in the future or the present? And the picture of the Bible is, in the New Testament especially, it's you live in both. And somehow you're supposed to increasingly live in this future world where you're already there, it says. You're already seated in heaven with Christ. And that's, again, not meant to be this like beautiful metaphor of, oh, I'm hoping for eternity. Paul talks about that future place that we're already seated in heaven so that right now you can put off sexual immorality and put on love and purity. So don't tell me this is about eternity. This is about right now and is your character being transformed in this life? And it's this weird like you're already there in heaven. And, the re and so this is like the same prayer that Jesus says. You declare on earth as it is in heaven because in heaven it's already done is the point. In heaven, it's already done. And so somehow, as we get to know God in intimate relationship with him and his character and then his will, we've, we've partaken of his will, his character and nature in heaven where it's already done. And Jesus says the more that becomes real or when that becomes real and you actually believe it, then you look at mountains, you don't doubt, you declare it because you know it's already done, it will be done. You know it's already done there, so it will be done here. How is that not what Jesus is saying? <laughs> but immediately, when we go to put this into practice, it causes tensions with our reality. I don't know a person, including myself, my wife, whoever, that we go after this. I don't know a person who hasn't attempted this, declared mountain move, and, not, and, and seen it not move. I don't know anybody who's ever declared every mountain and then it just moves. I know people that have declared mountains and move, and they've moved. That's awesome. And even those people have declared to mountains to move, and they haven't moved. And so this becomes painful when it's real life. And it's, and it's a family member who's sick, hurting, dying, struggling, addicted. And so, because of that painful tension, we often, if we're honest, we give up on this passage in the fullness. Maybe it's from several angles. One is that we get hurt, we get disappointed. And so we just give up. We, we maybe genuinely feel like, God, I tried. I gave it a genuine effort, and it didn't work. So maybe, maybe that's just, you know, that's, that's not my thing. It's not, it's not for me. There's other people in this world, man. They're, they're designed by you to move mountains. Wow, those people, I see them on TV, or I hear about that testimony, or I, I watch that, or incredible, man. It gets me fired up. That, yeah, God's on the move, and his kingdom is breaking in, but then I try it, and nothing happens, so... It's not for me. And you give up. You let someone else do it. But you still kind of stay in the game of like, okay, but it's cool. And I want to see God's kingdom advancing. And that's a blessing. But just, just not my life or my prayers. And along with that is another option is that we can just get very negative about ourselves and start beating ourselves up for not being there. I mean, this passage, as much as some people get uncomfortable, Jesus is, <laughs> how is he not clearly saying your faith matters? I mean, <laughs> you would have to destroy this passage exegetically to not say <laughs> or not land on the reality that Jesus is saying your faith matters when it comes to prayers being answered and mountains being moved. I mean, in fact, in this passage, I would argue he's saying it's the primary thing. When you have faith in God and you start a prayer and you don't doubt but believe it will be done, 
So let's look at what elements are in that. Faith, not doubt, faith, done. So in other words, faith, 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 done. And that can be painful, right? Because then that can be, you beat yourself up. Oh, I didn't have enough faith. It's right there. I'm bad. I'm not, you know, I just, I'm, I'm not worthy to pray these prayers because I don't have that kind of faith. And, and now, now the, all the problems that I see in my life, they're ultimately my fault. That is absolutely not what God wants at all. And we're gonna get there. But that's a very common response. So that also leads us to do what? Well, I'm just gonna quit. I'm gonna stop praying those prayers because I try and I evidently, obviously don't have enough faith and I'm sick of beating myself up, so I'm gonna stop. Another response, very, very common, is that we just look after praying and not seeing a mountain move, we look at the circumstances that have remained the same and decipher that, well, because the circumstances have remained the same after I've prayed, therefore it must be God's will. Which is absolute trash theology. Because Jesus wouldn't say, you can move the mountains. <laughs> I mean, the whole point of this is there are massive obstacles in the world that are not God's will. But for some crazy reason, God decided to make you a part of the process of seeing his kingdom come to earth. So Jesus is saying, you can look at a mountain that is clearly not God's will. It is not heaven-transforming earth. It is not on earth as it is in heaven, and so you can be confident that's God's will to change that situation, and you can go after it. That's Jesus' whole point of this passage is like, wow, you can be involved in this. That's your privilege. And so we, we, we take little steps to say, okay, wow, that's amazing. God doesn't need me, but he's included me anyways. You can get to heaven and say, God, that was a really bad idea. I wish you would have just, you know, done it all yourself. You would have probably done a much better job than including us, which is 100% true. So that's a good thing to wrestle with, but he's included you. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you guys know, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. Like, it almost looks silly at times. God says, Moses, I want you to go before Pharaoh, and I'm going to do all this stuff, and, and Moses is like, you know, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. And, Moses, and God's like, yeah, that's the point. I'm with you. You know, it's like, it's not about you. It's about me, about me flowing through you. So I'm going to give you this little stick, all right? And you're a little scared, so fine. Here's a stick. Hold out the stick, and I'm going to work through it. And it almost seems silly. It's like the, they're at the Red Sea, you know, and they're scared. Like, oh, they, God just did all these crazy miracles. And us of little faith, we are that people. So we don't, we're not mocking them. They're like, oh, my gosh, God, you brought us out here to kill us right after you did all these miracles to get him out there. And God says, all right, Moses, I'm going to show my power and deliver my people. And I'm going to get glory over the Egyptians in all the earth. They will know that it's my power and my glory. I am the only God of all the earth. So Moses, pick up your stick and wave it, and the Red Sea's going to part. I'm going to go out on a, on a, a ledge here, and I'm going to bet that if Moses didn't do this, yet there's, you know, a million Israelites waiting on the edge of the sea, and they still see the sea go, <laughs> like, you know, on dry land with walls of ocean on both sides, and they get to walk through, and as soon as they're done, they, it, you know, the walls are gone and Pharaoh's gone. I think God would have got his point across. But he says, no, not how I like to do it. Come here, weak and doubting Moses. Put up that stick for me. Honestly, I'm like, why does he even involve him? He, Moses is like complaining the whole time about how he doesn't want to be there. It's just a wild thing. Wrestle with God. I'm not giving you an answer. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of deep theology in the Bible about it, but the point is like, God wants you to interact with him to see his kingdom come to earth. He doesn't want to do it by himself. So wrestle with God as to why. 
There's some beautiful answers. But that's what we're seeing right in here. And then we settle, though. If it doesn't happen, we say, oh, I guess it's not God's will. And we cannot let that be our impulse. If it's not on earth as it is in heaven, it's not God's will. If it's evil, I mean, I don't know why we, we, well, actually, I do know why. It's the emotions of it, where we've tried. It hurts. It's disappointing. And so we just settle into, well, it must be God's will. Things that are just completely opposed to the nature of God, things that are completely opposed to what we see in the life, teaching character, works of Jesus, we just say, well, it must be God's will for now, when God's saying, no, it's not. I gave you that little staff to say to that mountain, move. Don't give up just because you've tried and it hasn't worked yet. And so this is, let's get into the passage on where we see that, because there's a fundamentally different way of seeing this passage that can encourage us that, here's the deal, even when all of those emotions are there, the tensions that are there, when we've done our best, if you will, with the best faith we have at the moment to say mountain move, and it hasn't, and all these hard, difficult emotions are present, there's a fundamentally different way of seeing the passage that gives us hope, encouragement to continue on the same journey. And it has to do with a little fig tree. Mark 11, 20 to 23, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. So Jesus takes their focal point from a fig tree to a mountain. So keep that in mind. But what's going on in here? What does a fig tree have to do with this mountain moving faith? Why does a withered fig tree prompt Jesus to talk about mountain moving faith? To make a long story short, the the prior day, The disciples were walking on the road to and from the temple. And Jesus, it says he was hungry, so he went to try to get some fruit off of the fig tree. And the fig tree had no fruit. And Jesus got upset at the tree and cursed it. Said, may you never have fruit again. Which is weird. We could just laugh a little bit. Come on. Sometimes it's like, wow, this is interesting stuff. It's kind of, I mean, you know, you're walking with Jesus He's hungry. He's like, hey, guys, I'm hungry. Hey, there's cool to fig tree. He goes to get fruit. Ah, curse you, fig tree. Never have fruit again. That's exactly what he did. That's a little weird and interesting and fun. But obviously, there's a deeper thing. He's probably got an understanding and knowledge by the Holy Spirit of, of what's coming the next day. So fast forward one day, the next time the disciples are there, or maybe he didn't, and he's just teaching in the moment. I don't know. The text says nothing about whether or not Jesus had that insider or if he was just teaching in the moment. So fast forward one day, the next time the disciples and Jesus walk by the fig tree, Peter notices that it's withered. So the curse upon the fig tree to never have fruit happened very quickly. So within one day, you know, this very vibrant, alive little fig bush is all of a sudden like, Obviously, like, it's cursed, it's dead, it's withered. Something happened to it. And Peter's like, whoa, you, you did that, Jesus. You cursed it, and it worked. They passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said. He said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... So at the beginning, you could read this passage and be like, these things have nothing to do with each other, except that they're like all within the same sentence. I mean, they're the same conversation. So when that happens, it's like, oh, I got to press in deeper. What's the connection, God? This is weird. Jesus or Peter's talking about withered fig trees, and you're talking about moving mountains. Like, what is the connection? Because that unlocks the, the, the deep reality of what Jesus is trying to say. And it's, I believe this, you test it out. The disciples are shocked and impressed that when Jesus declares that the fig tree will never bear fruit, it actually comes to pass. 
So that's their starting point. The disciples are shocked at Jesus' manifest power. And Jesus takes that moment to essentially say, "Mm, you're impressed? That's no big deal. That is nothing compared to what you're going to see in the future. And here's where he flips the script and blows their mind if they receive it and for us. In fact, that's nothing, in fact, of what God can do. We're probably all good with it so far, right? Through you. I mean, that, come on, he's, that's, how else is that not what's going on? Jesus uses this moment where it's like he's capturing their, their, the fact that they're impressed. So significant, though. They're impressed. Jesus is like, you guys are impressed with a withering fig tree by my hand, but God's goal for your life is that you would grow in faith and the trust of his character in such a degree that you will make these same kind of faith-filled declarations, but they're not to curse fig trees, they're to move spiritual mountains. And I love, and I'm wildly challenged by the clarity that Jesus has that he is not talking about his life. He is saying, oh, you're, you, you see my life and the things that I'm doing? Great. You are going to do even greater. <laughs> like, come on. You serious? So, but here is also where the grace is at. We have to see this as a kingdom goal. A goal is something where we realized we haven't arrived yet, but we are moving towards. A goal contains a vision of what is possible. Any goal you set, you don't set a goal. Maybe New Year's resolutions are the kind of worst kind of ones where you know you're not going to do it anyways, but it feels good for a moment. That's not a kingdom goal. A kingdom goal, a real healthy goal, is something that is possible. I mean, I know it sounds impossible for us, but Jesus is saying, this is possible. And the idea is that it's meant to propel us forward by seeing, believing that this is God's will for us to move into. So as a result, we take certain disciplined action steps now. Jesus is painting a picture of where they are at right now and look, there's no, there's no condemnation here. That's so huge for this journey. He's painting a picture of where they're at right now, which is they're impressed with Jesus' ability to curse a fig tree. And he paints a picture of that right now with where they can be in the future, where they can be through what God wants to do in their life. They're so encountering of God and his nature and his presence, his will, that they would be able to grow in faith faith to where they are making declarations that move mountains. We have to just see that as that's a goal. And if you're not there yet, there's no condemnation. Just like 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, the goal for God in your life right now is that you are transformed from one degree of glory to another to be more and more like Christ. Well, don't Condemn yourself because you're not Jesus yet. Conversely, though, that's the idea is you don't quit because you haven't reached the goal as soon as you hear about the goal or as soon as you try the goal once. Oftentimes we read this passage and others like it as something that we're supposed to Because it is God's will, and Jesus is clearly teaching it. And we feel that, and kind of internally we know that. And so we're like, oh, well, that means that's supposed to be my experience right now. And then if we don't see that immediate result, we go into that processing of all those other things. Well, I'm horrible. I'm an idiot. I don't have enough faith. That hurts. That's painful. It must not be God's will. And then you quit. And so much of the problem is your expectations are wrong. 
you're expecting to be at the goal when you are at day one. There is grace for the journey, so don't give up on the goal because you're not at the goal yet. It's okay. There is a lifetime of grace for your journey to pursue the goal. But just because you on day one started it, tried it, didn't work, doesn't mean you quit. Like my son right now, it's, it's kind of a fun, we'll just get real world analogy. So my 15-year-old son starting the weightlifting journey. For one maybe noble reason and one kind of like brotherly competition reason. One noble reason is like he loves basketball and he wants to get bigger, stronger, faster. He wants to be able to dunk. Hey, this is just be real. He's like, Dad, if I'm like, you know, get 6'2", good shooter, I can dunk. It, that's true. You're, you know, you're a college Scholarship potentials just went way up if you're a great three-point shooter and you can get to the rim and throw it down. So he sees that goal and he's like, I want to put in the work. So there's the holy reason. The, uh, the other one, which is kind of funny, is his 19-year-old brother, as a junior in high school, set the school record in the squat. And he wants to beat his brother. <laughs> hey, God can work with it, you know? So he's just starting this journey. 500 pounds, that's like 500 pounds and dunking. That's the goal. We all know that he would be an absolute fool to walk in that gym the first day say, oh, you know what? My brother did it. That's my goal. Slap on 500. Let's do this. What's going to happen? You're going to die. <laughs> you know, under the wrong settings, if there's not safety precautions, literally, you're going to die. The proper, I mean, but come on. How many people's faith have died on this mountain? The proper approach is I have a journey ahead of me to reach the goal. So maybe you find some mentors, which he has. My dad and, and Brad, who are in the room. Amazing blessing in my boys' lives. They submit themselves to the mentors to say, what's a good place for me to start? That's my goal, but I don't want to die. Well, they actually probably weren't even smart enough to say that. <laughs> the mentors are like, welcome, that's your goal, be quiet, put on that weight. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's where you start, so it's like, whatever, who cares where you're starting? Is it the bar? Fine. You're in here at the bar today, that's better than nothing. You stick through it, what's going to happen? You stay faithful. You get a community around you that knows what they're doing. Get people around you that have been farther than you. Get people around you who have seen some of the miracles, some of the goals, some of the increase, and you learn from them. You ask from them. You pray with them. You ask, what should you be praying? Where's a good place to start? I guarantee you there will be growth. I guarantee it. I can look back on my life right now and say, I've got both mountains in my life that have not yet moved, that we've worked through, you know, discouragement, pain, oh, what's the, you know, tension of it all, and come through it stronger of continuing to push on that mountain, punch that mountain, just, and it's going to move. And there's other things that used to be mountains that feel like barely the bar. Seriously, though, and that's like, whoo. Now this is starting to make sense. I mean, like, I came home from the, a treasure hunt the other day with, with this awesome, you know, group of wonderful people, and we saw God do some amazing things. I mean, one, one that stood out to me, there's a number of different, if you're not familiar with the treasure hunt, the idea is we, we gather here, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you give us clues? Not even, like, a full map. <laughs> clues, words of location, names maybe, needs, conditions, situations. Just give us some clues. We're gonna, by faith, go out there and trust that you have spoken and you have treasures that you want us to encounter. And so we did that. We got some various words. We went out in a couple different groups. And every single time we do it, God shows up. God is faithful. God moves. God speaks. There was one in our little group that was a fun one. 
I got the name Frank. I was like, that's a little weird. I think I just think about Frank a lot. I don't know. Who's Frank? I, I think about Frank. I wasn't real confident in it. After we prayed, we got in these little, you know, we said, we just kind of debrief. All right, what clues did you get? And Toy speaks up first. I'm glad he did, because me of little faith, I'd be like, that guy's copying me. Uh, Toy spoke first. He said, I got the name Frank. Yes. Yes. It is golden from there. From the terrified, I'm a loser, idiot, what am I doing here, to here we go, baby. Seriously, like, we're coming after you, Frank. God's coming after you. And we went out, and he, he also got liquor store, and I got this kind of sense of like a, uh, like he was, there was like, it was a picture of like a hills, and, and Tammy said she got a similar picture of someone walking up a hill, and, but there was gonna be clarity as they walk up the hill. And that went with uh, my other word, which was about uh, instructions. So I didn't have it. I had like hill and instructions, and they were separate. And Tammy also got the clue, walking up a hill with, with directions. So, and then we got, I, the other word I got was swagger. So here we're going out, liquor store, Frank, double Frank, swagger, up the hill, directions. Oh, and night terrors. Night terrors was another one that Toy got. So we go out, there's a liquor store right there. And uh, I was going to make an off-color joke, but I'm not going to Sorry. We go to the liquor store, and uh, on our way, we're about 20 yards out from the, the doors. And Frank comes up to us, and he says, hey, toy. What? So Toy's already met this brother, this fellow, Francisco, who also goes by Frank. He'd met him a few weeks back. And so we immediately start talking with Frank. And what I noticed about Frank, this guy's got a lot of swagger. He's got this cool outfit. He's got this shirt. And, man, you just give that guy a mic. He's ready for a podcast. I mean, he is like, woo! He's a fun guy, seriously. And, and Toy, just no, straight to business, he's like, Frank, he's got the trust built through the relationship. He's like, Frank. You have, uh, you know, we're out here, and, and we, we believe that God has led us to you today. And Frank's like, what, 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 what are you talking about? And then so we pull out these little clues list. And he's like, look, this is, these are the lists that I have. I have, I got Frank, and got liquor store, and I show him mine. I got Frank. He's like, oh, you guys wrote that walking up right now. We're like, no, Frank, we promise. Like, we're, we have no reason to do that. Like, we believe that you're God's treasure on his heart right now. And, you know, he's immediately starting getting a little teary-eyed hearing that. And, you know, uh, he moves right into the good business of, hey, let me ask you, like, it's on my list. I felt like God, you know, said night terrors. Do you have night terrors? And he's like, oh, he's just, oh, yeah, I got them all the time. And I got them up about this. And I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping on the streets. And I, I wake up with these night terrors, like, multiple times a night because I think people are going to beat me up. They're going to steal my stuff. And he starts going off on that. So, like, check that box. Not like we're trying to check the box. But it's like just further confirmation that, like, Frank, God's coming after you. And our confidence is like, hey, mountains are about to move, buddy. And then uh, Tammy asks him about, hey, does this make any sense to you where you're like looking for um, like kind of like a hard road up a hill where you're looking for direction? And you know, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, I, he's like right now, he's like, I, 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 I know I need to go to rehab, but I just kind of like need that, that, that confirmation. <laughs> and she's like, you know, here's your sign, you know. <laughs> And, and so, anyways, long story short, and he's like swagger the whole time. It was so, actually, it was so much fun. I mean, he had, he knows the word. He grew up in the Catholic church, knows the word, and, and, and was just giving it back to us. And so we had this beautiful moment. He let us pray for him, and we're praying. He wants to pray in the middle of it. He's tearing up afterwards, and he, he literally is like, whoa, like, that was powerful. And I got home, and my wife's like, hey, how was the treasure hunt? I was like, yeah, it was good. And I realized later, that was 100% serious. Because the Lord said, I've called many times before. Just turn off that phone, sorry. <clears throat> Tried to work it in. There is this thing, guys, I don't know if you know, airplane mode. Um, but it was 100% serious that, like, I loved being there. 
But that, that didn't blow my socks off because it's like the 50th time I've seen God do that. And I'm not saying that in a way of like, oh, wow. It's like, no, it's just as you, that's the goal of as you pursue the Lord, things get more normal of you know it's his will. So it's like there's no question in my mind that when we go to pray for someone, that God's will is that the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit would encounter that person. And that's completely different from how I understood prayer 20 years ago. But it's now, it's just the experience of seeing God do these things and very much being willing at times to say, hey, I'm just that guy that all I can do today is give me the bar. Otherwise, I might kill myself. So I need to be around people that are further ahead, that are, you know, squatting 200, 300, 500, who've done it for 30 years, who know how to do it, who say, hey, this is your next step. Do this. Join me. Watch me. There's this, it's a community effort. That's a huge part of the process. But the point is, is that things that at one point are like new, unknown, and they seem impossible, God's will is that that list of impossible would grow in your life to become normal. Not normal in a way that we take it for granted or that we think it's us. It's that you're abiding in the vine. We're always and always will be a 100% nothing more than a vine that is dependent on staying connected to the branch. We can do nothing apart from him. But in that posture, what's even in that passage, Jesus says, if you stay connected, if you abide, you will bear great fruit so that my Father is glorified. And otherwise, so that your life actually looks like God's involved. And that stuff that seems impossible is meant to become more and more normal in the sense of this is who God is. This is what God does. Yeah, it used to be foreign and weird, the idea that, that God is such a perfect, good father that he, in fact, knows my name and he calls me by name and he speaks personally and he wants to be present and he knows what I need and he comes through and he speaks to me. At one point in my life, that was an awesome idea from the Bible that seemed borderline weird and impossible. And now it is just the absolute normal air that I breathe to get up in the morning and just start the day. And it's like, that's the idea of testimony. You all have things in your life that at one point were impossible and they become possible. They become your normal. They become your, your testimony. And the point is, until the day you die, never quit that there is more of that. So that as you stay on that journey and have grace for the journey, what you see is that those mountains get bigger and bigger that you're able to toss into the sea. Because I'm looking back right now at my life and saying, from what I can do on my own strength, I can name, you know, 10, 20, 30 different things that are legitimate mountains that now in Christ, abiding in him, seeking these kind of things, I can say by faith, when I get into that situation, I have a confidence to say, mountain, move. Is that not exactly what Jesus is talking about? That it's just, we're, we're humbly stumbling. Humbly stumbling and not giving up. And no condemnation. When it doesn't happen, I don't give up. I just say, I'm not there yet. And I'm going to keep pushing. And I'm going to get around community. And when I'm feeling tired and weary, I'm going to ask people to pray for me. And remind me of God's promises and God's character and God's nature. And I'm going to get around people who have seen that breakthrough. I'm going to say, would you pray for me? And would you pray for that breakthrough? And would you pray for that kind of faith in me? And they release testimony. And it's this over and over process of, what is this? From glory to glory. So in order to grow towards that faith of mountain-moving power, our disciplined action is to be willing to step out of the 
current comfortable reality and seek breakthrough in something that is new. In a way, it's so simple. What is new becomes normal. From new to normal, new to normal, glory to glory to glory, new to normal. That is got to be, that's the faith-filled mindset of the disciples that Jesus is saying, man, you're impressed with a stick withering. Wait till what, wait till you see what God wants to do through you. From new to normal. So, our challenge is to, actually, I'm going to start with the blessing. Our blessing is that this is actually real. God wants this for us. Our challenge is to not quit, not give up, not condemn, not blame it on, oh, I guess not God's will, and to take that thing in our life. Where is that new? And that's kind of the, maybe the question to leave on today. And we're going to come back to this. I got half my notes left, so let's go. No, I'm just kidding. I even, have, I even got to my wife's favorite verse on this, which is, it's, it's, oh, that's the favorite verse. Yeah, don't show that. Then my wife's going to come up and preach a whole other sermon. <laughs> All right, I'm going to declare. My wife and I are going to preach that sermon together next Sunday. <laughs> she taught me this verse, actually, and she's lived it out in a way in the midst of the valley and pain like I have never seen anyone do. So she has a credibility and an authority. Um, but let's stop for today and ask that question of where's the new? In your life, in the landscape of the collision between the hurt and the pain and the brokenness of your life and your family and in your community, and those things that you long to see mountains move, where's that new mountain? That new step of faith. And can you let God fill you up with the courage to, to go after that? To not have any sort of self-condemnation for the journey? And to be honest, that verse and going and digging into that is really where we get the picture of there's no condemnation for where you're at. Just keep pressing in. So we'll get into that really kind of deeply and biblically next week. Um, but let's, let's close our time right now. Um, with a quick word from my wife and a uh, Holy Spirit uh, invitation. Remember, you get to preach next week. I know. <laughs> this isn't about next week. Um, I actually just want to give a very short kind of practical way that I apply this that's very childlike because um, often with the things that you are wanting to partner with God over to see the kingdom of God come. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I'm going to be willing to bet that we're all kind of in the same boat. It can just kind of feel like overwhelming, kind of like uh, not so much that you don't know where to start, but sometimes kind of like that where it's like, it just this seems so big or I've been praying for this for so long. And I just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of feel like I can't have enough faith, and you know that's not true because it's a process of transformation, but there's just kind of like a, um, I don't know, just a sense of being kind of like overwhelmed, and you don't know where to start, or even just kind of a sense of, I've been praying for this for so long, and I feel discouraged, um, and God, ga God gives me um, pictures a lot, and words, and images, and one of the most powerful ones has been um, just these really simple ones that have encouraged me just to come to him like a child. And so they've been pictures of um, our littlest one, little packs, um, and words that he's actually said to us. So there was one time that Pax, we were in the backyard, and we were in her, by her pool, and Pax has like chocolate all over his face, and he has chocolate in his hands, and he comes up to Casey, and he looks at him, and he smiles, and he goes, Thank you, Daddy. And we never gave him permission for that. We never gave him permission for the chocolate, but it was kind of this beautiful embodiment of thanking God before it happens. But he's, you know, thanking Daddy, you know. And so I just felt like God gave me that picture of it's just so simple. In that moment, it feels overwhelming. 
it feels like, oh, I don't even know how to kind of like muster the faith. And I just kind of, I buckle down. Uh, sometimes I'll just close my eyes. I plug my ears at the things in the world that are not in agreement with the kingdom. And the things, instead of looking at them and being like, oh, no, they're so big. Close my eyes, plug my ears. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. I picture what it is in the kingdom often that needs to be birthed, and I, I just look at that. I look in his eyes. It's important to look in his eyes so that we can see in his eyes what his heart is, what his will is, and I just look at his eyes. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you that you're doing this. Thank you that mountains are moving. Thank you that your kingdom is coming. And as you look in his eyes and you continue to do that and you start from a little childlike place of thank you, daddy, it will grow and you will start speaking. And I want to encourage you to speak out loud. There's a lot that you can research in the scriptures about speaking out loud. But there are places oftentimes where my faith kind of feels like just kind of crappy. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. You know, we're, we're not here. We're not up here leading because we're perfect. You know, we're a team here. We all need Jesus, and we're all transforming from glory to glory, right? Um, but what was I saying? <laughs> Your face is crappy? No, no, no. It was right before that. There's actually something important that I, like, it Yes, thank you. Yeah, sorry. The time change is not kind to my brain. I think there's a couple marbles on my pillow. Um, anyways, so speaking out loud, there is something powerful about not just praying in your head. Because last, last night, I, had, I, I experienced this over and over again. I will just start speaking out loud. I'll, I'll just start, because I don't even know what to say. I'll start praying in tongues. I'll just start even first, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. And then all of a sudden, I go from weak, trembling, kind of just non-functional faith to, yeah! And I'm, I'm rebuking and, com and commanding the kingdom, you know? Like Matthew 6 is, kingdom of God, come, will of God, be done, and you'll get filled with fire. So I just want to encourage you not to be discouraged and to shut down by not feeling amazing and powerful. You know, he gives, he, the kingdom of God belongs to children. And I start like a child all the time. Thank you, daddy. So yeah, that was just practical. That was awesome. Great job, babe. All right, let's pray on those lines. Just want to give a quiet moment. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and speak personally to each and every one of us. If it's not already clear that you would reveal to us an, an area of life where you're an, a new, a new area where you're inviting us, or maybe it's renewed, an area of life where you're inviting us to be renewed in our faith that it is a mountain that you want us to move. Sing a new song I will sing a new song